Well, I am glad to be back with you. Um, you know, normally I'm here two weeks and I'm gone one week. Well, I've been out for two weeks um, and Jared's been filling in. And I want to say thank you first to Jared for um, stepping up and uh, delivering some great messages to you guys. Um, so he's, he's a huge, huge part of, of what we do here at Pittman Park. He's a huge part of our team. And so we're just, we're very thankful to have him here on staff. But we're, um, we're in week three of a series that I've yet to preach in. Uh, here in the borough at Pittman Park. We're in week, week three of this series called The Way, where we're looking at the early church, um, the church that we read about in Acts, and seeking to discover maybe some of the things that motivated them, some of the things that moved them, some of the things that shaped that church and helped form their understanding of who they are and what they were to be in this world. So um, thank you for being here this morning. Again, my name's Jonathan. I'm just so glad that you're with us. But I've got a question for you. Um, if you've ever been in a relationship, guys, I want to talk to you for a second. Um, have you ever been in a relationship um, where you're out at dinner, maybe with uh, your, your wife or your girlfriend or your fiance or whatever it is, and she starts doing this thing? Did you catch that? Does this? You ever seen that? Some of you guys have, right? What does this mean? It means wipe your mouth, right? Yes, somebody got it. It means wipe your mouth. Wipe your mouth. It's not a nervous tick that your wife or girlfriend has. It means wipe your mouth. Now, um, if you're not paying attention to the message that's being subtly delivered, wipe your mouth, you will miss it, and you will walk out of a restaurant with mustard on your face. And yes, that is a very specific illustration because it's happened to me. <laughs> you ever have one of these where it's not mustard here, it's like mayonnaise? You ever get that? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You're eating a hamburger, and all of a sudden there's mayonnaise like, by your ear. Is that weird? It is weird, right? You're not supposed to eat like that. And so it, it's our girlfriends and our wives who sometimes have to straighten us out and give us the, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe for the mayonnaise at the back of the ear, uh, but, but give you this, uh, this sign to say, listen, you need, you need to know that you're not doing right. Uh, things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Wipe the corner of your mouth. Um, our wives and girlfriends are trying to save us from embarrassment whenever they do that and give us this sign. Now, this morning's scripture text that we're going to be uh, looking at deals with this very idea, this idea of sending a message to someone so that they understand that things need to be taken care of, that things need to shift, that things need to change. And the text we're reading from this morning is from Acts chapter 10. So I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles or turn on your, smart fad, your, your smartphones or your smart pads. There you go. Um, your smartphones, your iPads, uh, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Um, as we talk about what it means to get a message that sort of changes things and gives you a new perspective on life and on ministry and what it means to be the church. Um, several years ago, there was a guy named Larry Walters. Anybody know who Larry Walters is? Anybody? Larry Walters. Uh, Larry Walters did something amazing and something incredible in 1982. That's the reason that you might not know his name right off the bat. But Larry Walters um, was a man who had always dreamed of flying. He wanted to fly, and so he joined the Air Force, and they told him his vision was too bad. There's no way he gets to fly in a fighter jet. You'd crash the thing. And so he's kind of dejected, and he does his military service, and he's down on life, and he's 33 years old. And so he decides, I'm going to fly. I'm going to fly because I want a different perspective on life and in this world. So what he does is he goes down to the Army-Navy supply store. Guys, have you ever been to Army-Navy supply store? 
it's incredible, right? They have everything in there. All kind of stuff that you didn't know you needed is in there. Um, but what he does is he goes to this Army-Navy supply store where they have all this used Army stuff, and he picks up about 22 helium weather balloons. You know what I'm talking about? Weather balloons? 22 weather balloons. And what he and his buddies do, because if it's a story like this, there's always buddies involved. Um, what he and his buddies do is they take and they attach all of those helium balloons to a lawn chair. Because Larry wants a different perspective, right? So they attach him to the lawn chair, and they fill up the helium balloons. And um, all of a sudden, Larry, you know, he's like 15 feet up in his lawn chair, strapped in with jugs of water for ballast and a, a, a bottle of soda, because he wants to see the neighborhood kind of differently. Um, and he's got peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and beef jerky. Um, and so he's up in the air, you know, not real high, but then something happens. You know, stories like this, something always happens, right? This Larry and his buddies, and he's tied off to his truck when the cord that was holding him to the ground rubbed against the side of the house and the cord breaks. And Larry goes straight up in the air. I mean, just straight up. Not 100 feet. He thought maybe 100 feet would be it, but it wasn't 100 feet. He gets to 1,000 feet. It's not 1,000 feet. He goes higher than that. He goes up in the air 16,000 feet. Larry, in his lawn chair... <laughs> You can't make this up. This is true. You can check out Snopes on this. This is true. Larry in his lawn chair, right? With his jugs of water and, <laughs> and his, his bottle of soda and his peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a hand radio. Um, there's actually a recording of, of some of what happened. He drops his glasses at one point on the trip. And he radios down to his girlfriend that he's, he's done this. He's lost his glasses. He's 16,000 feet up in the air. And he's in California. So he's floating over Long Beach Airport. Now, you know what happens if you happen to float into uh, restricted airspace? Yeah, it's not pretty. But anyway, so, so um, all of a sudden, the tower at, at Long Beach Airport gets these calls from Delta Airline pilots saying that there's an unprotected man floating in a lawn chair in their flight path. Same thing from TWA. TWA, right? There's an unprotected man floating in our flight path. Larry, all he wanted was a new perspective. Um, and Oh, I forgot to tell you the other thing that he had. Larry had actually had this scenario in his mind at one point that he might need to get down from being up in the air. So he carried his BB gun with him, right? So he can have a controlled descent. So, <laughs> so um, Larry's petrified by this point, uh, and he starts popping balloons with his BB gun. And after 14 hours up in the air, he lands safely on the ground, and he gets interviewed. Of course, you get interviewed if you float up in the air in a lawn chair attached to helium weather balloons for 14 hours. You're going to get interviewed by somebody. So the reporter's asking, they say, Larry, were you scared? Yes. <laughs> yes, I was scared. Would you do it again? Larry says, no. <laughs> I would not do it again. Well, why did you do it? Why did you do it, Larry? Why did you do it? Why did you and your buddies devise this plan, Larry. And he says this, because a man can't just sit around. Larry, um, as misguided as he was, had a vision for life being different than the way it was right now. He wanted a new perspective, so he did something different. He, would he was guided by a vision that was bigger than what he was living in the moment. He wanted to fly. That was his dream. He wanted to fly, and so he did whatever he had to do to fly, even if it meant buddies in a lawn chair and helium balloons. He did it. And Larry got to fly. 
Peter is a guy that's motivated by God's vision, by a vision a little bit bigger than perhaps Larry Walter's vision. Peter's, is direct, Peter's vision in his life is directed by God's vision, and especially the vision that he received um, in Jesus Christ, this image of what life and faith and faithfulness could be in and through Jesus Christ. And so after Jesus' resurrection um, and ascent into heaven, Peter finds himself as sort of the head of this newly formed thing called the church. It's not even called a church yet. The followers of Jesus, they're just called disciples or followers of the way. Followers of the way. Um, And Peter's in charge. And he's trying to figure out, God, what is it that you want us to do? What is it that you want us to do? To go. So if you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles again to Acts chapter 10. You've got it there? The, these, these verses are in your notes. God wants to give Peter a bigger vision of what he's up to in this world. And so these are the verses that we get in, John, in Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9. It says, They're about noon the next day. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He starts to have a vision. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, Peter, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing, the sheet, was suddenly taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of this vision that he'd seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. Now, let me backtrack a little bit in this chapter. In chapter 10, two guys get a vision about the same time. A guy named Cornelius and a guy named Peter. Cornelius is a God-fearing Gentile. Okay, he's a God-fearing Gentile. He's not a Jew. He is a Gentile, but he follows God as best he can. And he has this vision that says, go and send for this man named Simon, who is called Peter. You'll find him in Joppa. You're in Caesarea. You'll find him in Joppa. And so he has this vision, and he sends these people out to find Simon that's called Peter. Suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house, and were standing by the gate, and they called out, to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who was well-spoken of in the entire Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them 
and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. Now, we have a lot of younger families in here and, and families um, with parents who have children that maybe have moved out. Um, are any of your kids picky eaters? I've got a four. Oh, you're a picky eater. Well, there you go. The front row is like, woo, picky eaters. All right, my daughter is four years old, and she is a picky eater. Um, well, she thinks she's a picky eater. She's not really a picky eater. We make sure that she's not a picky eater, but she's kind of picky. If you ask her and you say, Addie, what is it that you want to eat for dinner tonight? First answer, chicken nuggets. Where from? Chick-fil-A. If you left it up to Addie, Addie would eat Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets every single day. If she can't get chicken nuggets, the next answer is pizza. What do you want for dinner? Can't have chicken nuggets? Pizza. Okay, where do you want pizza from? Mellow mushroom. She's, she's very particular about her pizza. She wants mellow mushroom pizza, the kind on the thick bread, not the pita stuff, but like the French bread pizza. That's what she wants when she thinks of pizza. The other thing that she'll occasionally ask for is a corn dog. Which of the three is, is not that random when you think about it, but, but she loves corn dogs, and she'll occasionally ask if we can have corn dogs for dinner, which is not easy to pull off all the time. Picky eaters, though, they don't eat certain things because they don't like certain things. I'll tell you something that I'm not a big fan of, and that's liver. I'm not a big liver fan. You can cover it in gravy. You can cover it in... Not, somebody said, ooh? Yeah. Uh, liver and onions and all of that, I just, I can't eat it. You can't dress it up enough. I'm sorry. God bless you if you send it to my house, but I'm probably not going to eat it. Um, maybe there's some foods that you don't like or you're picky about it. You say, I just, I'm not going to eat that. Well, Peter, he's not just a picky eater. He has a set of laws that govern the way that he eats. It's called kosher law. There are these laws in the Old Testament in Leviticus uh, that talk about the kind of foods that you should eat and you shouldn't eat. It's one of the ways that God set apart his people. So Peter took these distinctions that God made between clean food and unclean food very, very seriously. I mean, it's not just that he can't eat these animals that God lists like rock badgers and hares and fish that don't have scales. It's not just that he can't eat those. It's he can't even touch those. As a Jew, he's not even supposed to touch those animals. He learned to avoid them. He learned to stay away from them. But his picky, this picky eater, he's about to learn a lesson. He's about to get a new perspective. The text that you heard happens in the house of Simon the Tanner in Joppa, a port city that's, that's actually on the Mediterranean Sea. And Peter had been staying at Simon's house for some time. And on this one particular day, he goes up on the roof and he starts to get hungry. And he has this vision while the meal's being prepared for him. And in this vision, Peter sees something like a large sheet. Uh, other translations say a large net, like a, a cast net. A large net lowered down from heaven with all sorts of animals in it. I mean, I mean, there, there were rock badgers there, sure, but there were also quail and deer and all these other great an animals, fish, animals that the Israelites had eaten on the way to the promised land. So there's all these clean animals and all these unclean animals, and God tells Peter to kill and eat. And Peter, being the rules guy, because he understands that he's the leader of sort of a movement, and he wants to keep the rules safe and keep everybody safe and make sure that everybody's covered, he says, God, I can't do that. You know me, and you know I like to follow the rules. I can be brash, but I like to follow the rules. And so I can't just kill and eat. But three times this voice repeats to Peter, kill and eat. 
do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And after the third time, the sheets pulled away with all the animals, and Peter is once again alone on the roof. Now, we don't know how quickly the picky eater Peter changed his ways and became comfortable with the foods that were formerly unclean. But we do see clearly from this episode in his life that something changed, that Peter's perspective was beginning to shift, that that things began to turn inside of his heart, inside of his mind about who God was calling unto himself and what it meant for everything to be called clean. All those rules and laws and regulations that that the Israelites had followed and that Peter had tried to follow his whole life were beginning to get softer. And the rules, the rules were no longer so clean for Peter because Peter began to understand just what Jesus had said about the law, that he came to fulfill the law. What had changed for Peter was that Jesus had come and lived and died and rose again. The apostle Paul, he, he says these words, about what it means for Christ to be among us. Before faith came, we were prisoners to the law. We had to eat the food the law said to eat and avoid the food the law said not to eat. Locked up until faith could be revealed. So the law was put in charge until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. In a sense, this is exactly what God is showing to Peter. Peter, faithfulness is no longer about clean and unclean and making sure you stay away from the bad stuff and only eating the good stuff. It's about learning to live faithfully in the world in which you're planted, living with a vision of life and purpose and meaning in this world that's bigger than your own. This message that God is sending Peter isn't just about food. It's about people. It's about people. As I told you, just one day before Peter received his vision, a man named Cornelius also had a vision. A vision that said, go and seek out this man named Simon who was called Peter. And the interesting thing is that those guys that Cornelius sends, they're Gentiles. They are people that the, that, that the Jewish people believe were unclean, unfit to be a part of God's plan and God's purpose in this world, unfit to be loved and to be cared for and to be included in the community. They weren't good enough. They didn't deserve to be in because God had called them unclean. They were outsiders. And here's the crazy thing. Gentiles are us. We are the Gentiles. We're the ones who stand on the outside of God's promise at this point in Christian history, in the history of the church, in the history of God's grace. We're the ones on the outside looking in. And Peter is beginning to see in his mind and in his heart that what God wants to do is bigger than just Israel. Bigger than just the Jewish people in this world. But this promise that God had made through Jesus Christ was for the whole world. 
God is saying to Peter, don't consider anyone unclean. Don't consider anyone too far gone. Don't consider anyone beyond the reach and beyond the grasp of God. Because this promise is not for a few, but it's for the whole world. God was never only the God of the Jews. God was and has always been the God of the entire universe, the caretaker of every one of our souls, working in each and every one of our lives to call us, to call us into communion, to call us into a relationship with him. Paul says these things to the church in Ephesus. He says this, He said that Jesus had destroyed the dividing wall of hospitality between Jews and Gentiles. And so consequently, you and I, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, separated from God because of law. But instead, we are citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And so when Peter walks down from that roof and welcomes those Gentile men into his house and gives them lodging, Peter's acknowledging that God's plan is for the whole world, not just for a few, but for every soul. Often, we are a lot like Peter was in the church. Often, we begin to think that the message of salvation, the message of grace, the message of of love, the message of hope and peace in this world is a message that's for people in the church. It's a message that's just for the few of us who are gathered here and who are chosen and special. But I think what this text is trying to tell us, I think what Luke is getting at in writing this in his second letter called Acts, I think what he's getting at is that God's promise is not just for the church, it's for the world. And that the church, congregations like ours, ought to be motivated not by how much we can get individually and how much we can grow individually, but how we can expand the kingdom of God into every place in this world, how we can touch every corner of this planet, every corner of this state, every corner of this city, this town, with the power and presence of Jesus Christ. That's what... This vision is all about. It's about God's people going in to Jerusalem, yes, and Judea, yes, but also Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. God is saying to Peter, Peter, cast the net wider. Welcome more in. The message of hope is not just for you. It's for everyone. And so I say to you this morning, the message of hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it isn't just for you. It's not just for you. It's for everyone. Who is it that you need to welcome into your house Who is it that you need to journey with for a little while so that they can hear 
the story of the incredible things that God's done in your heart, in your life, and in this world. That's the question for us this morning. Who do we need to share the good news of God's love with today? Would you pray with me this morning?